Hi, everybody. I'm Sarita Chaparral, and I am not your mother's realtor. And this is my podcast, Shit Just Got Real Estate. And as always, I'm joined by my best friend, client, and colleague, Megan Osberger. Hi, everyone. It's exciting today because we have a really great guest. So today's guest is Melissa Tannehill, who is the owner of Tannehill Law, which specializes in real estate law, real estate business formation. So as I recently just discovered, that means like your LLC and S-Corp, which Melissa helped me do. Um, And you do estate planning. So you're just a all-in-one shop for real estate needs. Um, And one of my favorite things about Melissa is that she's also an active investor and house hacker. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. It's long overdue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We kept saying like, oh, we got to get Melissa on the podcast and then not doing it. So thank you for making time for us. For sure. For sure. So I know I just gave like kind of a brief summary about, you know, uh, who you are, but why don't, why don't you kick it off here um, with just maybe a couple of things about you and a little synopsis, um, Cliff Notes version of your life. <laughs> sure. How much time do we have now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I started my firm uh, probably roughly a little bit over three years ago. Um, prior to starting my law firm, I was actually in banking and I was a mortgage broker banker for a while. And so um, that had led to uh, an easy transition into real estate law. Um, And then basically added a few more practice areas. And this is this is where we're at now. So essentially, my um, majority of my clients stem from the real estate transaction. So a lot of uh, clients end up being investors that um, are continuing to grow their investment portfolio and maybe Mm. need to um, create the actual business side of things and then um, the closing transaction process. So the buying and selling of real estate as well too. Awesome. Yeah, when we met, uh, it was, I guess, kind of about a year after you had left more of the corporate side of real estate um, and were doing your own thing. And when I found out you were a female, obviously, and um, <laughs> an active investor. I was like, oh my God, because there's just not a lot of realtors, I'm sorry, uh, uh, lawyers that do real estate law um, that are women that also invest and are a house hacker. So for me, I, you know, and have like a really strong work work ethic, obviously. Um, So when we met, I was like, oh my God, like this is everything that I don't see right now. Um, And uh, yeah, we bonded really quickly. you know, since we're talking a little bit about how we met, well, I guess how that client I, uh, was working with us was he was also an attorney as well, which is really smart. I think a lot of attorneys will either do their own real estate transaction because they don't want to pay out, you know, for the attorney. Um, but he was smart enough to know that like he doesn't practice real estate law. And mm-hmm. so you need to have a real estate attorney. Um, you know, just to get started, what are three things that you think people should look for before they hire the real estate attorney? In the process of hiring the real estate attorney, yeah. I would say they should just make sure that the real estate attorney actually practices real estate law. Um, as a real estate attorney, sometimes I can tell, you know, when the other attorney is not necessarily a practicing real estate attorney, because there's just certain things that are not asked for specifically when it comes to investors, it's very important because there are additional documents, 
um, when like, for example, you're inheriting tenants or when there's um, I, I, just the various things that come along with leases and uh, multi-units and things of that nature to make sure that the attorney actually pr practices real estate law. Um, another, <clears throat> another good thing that, you know, is, is helpful is when the attorney kind of knows the market. So um, I would say being local in, in the era where you're purchasing. So if you're looking in Chicago or surrounding suburbs, I feel like it's a good idea to find an attorney who understands that market and then also understand the type of transaction. So like I said, with the multi-units, condos are also a little bit different because a condo is going to um, have condo association documents, meeting minutes, budgets, bylaws, things of that nature. So just having the, the right person to review those items and then determine, um, basically just to be your trusted advisor. I mean, you're, you're paying for an attorney, you might as well get one that's actually doing what they need to be doing. Yeah. yeah, and the experience of re reviewing the documents, whether it's tenants or condo doc documents, I think is really important. So like the minimum having the experience in those two property types is so important for anybody who's looking to buy, even if they're a licensed attorney themselves. Um, I think, I don't know, this might be a controversial statement with you, but I think like single family homes might be a little bit easier on the transaction side, but I think the most complicated is probably doing any type of an investment property. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. <clears throat> I mean, still though, I, I would still say there are still things that you need to look out for even on single family homes. Yeah. yeah. Going through the transaction. Also, when you're selling a property, um, the attorney, so the, the two separate ways that the attorney actually comes into play is when you're selling the property, the attorney's more of the um, document, they're like leading the transaction when you're under contract, right? So they're the, they're the one that are, um, uh, ordering the title, doing the title search, doing the title review, and then also preparing all of the closing documents. So your deed, your um, affidavit of title, your bill of sale, things like that, that need to be prepared prior to closing to um, have the seller sign and then give to the buyers at closing. Those are things um, that need to be prepared properly because those all get recorded. And so if there's one mishap, it the question as far as ownership or the question as far as the legal description of the property. So various things like that. And then on the buy side, <clears throat> the attorney kind of plays the role of the checks and balances. So are we reviewing everything to make sure that the seller's attorney has actually corrected it properly, drafted it properly, um, it, helping you through your due diligence portion of things. So like I said, reviewing the, the, um, the uh, condo documents or reviewing the uh, leases and things of that nature. So that's it, that's the difference that I feel like the attorney role plays um, when it comes to real estate on the buy and sell side. And yeah. so it's just important to have somebody who who understands um, all of that that goes into play. Yeah, it's like you don't want like everyone who has a surgeon somewhere they had to be the it had to be their first surgery. Right. You don't <laughs> want to be the first surgery or like. The second, I would say. Um, so that, that's we all have training, right? And yeah, that's a good part, but it's all slightly different, and it all kind of, um, yeah, you you can sometimes tell when it's it's not um, somebody's everyday practice, right? That makes sense. You know, one of the most important things I think that a lot of buyers don't understand is that the real estate attorney is going to be the person on the day of close to review all the documents with you. So like you were saying, like having the understanding and not necessarily it being your first surgery yeah. of, you know, kind of reviewing these documents. 
But what I think is really special about you, and I'm sorry, maybe we should just say this is not an ad for Tannehill Law. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, but I, you know, I have like a hard girl crush on you, but I think, you know, a lot of times people don't, or attorneys don't understand maybe the documents because they haven't worked in financing like you have. Um, Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your experience prior to becoming an attorney? Okay, so um, yeah, prior to becoming, actually prior to even going to law school, I started started my career in uh, mortgage banking. And so I was a mortgage banker for for quite a while, um, probably in in total, like almost eight years. And so while I was doing that full time, I... um, I then uh, enrolled in law school. I Which really- is insane. I cannot even believe you were working in that type of high stress environment and then also pursuing law. Oh, you did it at the same time. You didn't go full-time law Correct. school. Correct. So I didn't That's go to really hard. law school full-time because mm-hmm. um, who has the money to do right. that? I yeah. had a wife and had to pay for yeah. things. And uh, that was all my responsibilities. So um, I, and I honestly, I didn't know if I was really going to actually become a lawyer. Uh, like I, I wanted to, uh, let me take that back. I didn't know if I was going to practice law. And so, um, when I went to law school, I, I, I had this like debate as far as, um, do I go get my MBA or do I go to law school? Right. And I thought, like, law school was more of a professional degree. Also, we're talking like back in 20, um, during like the recession, essentially. essentially. So um, while we were doing that, while I was doing mortgages, I, I then went to law school and it took me a little bit longer, but I feel like that was probably the best experience I've ever had. It taught yeah. me how to manage my time better. It mm-hmm, taught me mm-hmm. how to, um, I don't know, just like work really hard because I was basically yeah. working from um like eight to six and then going to law school from six to nine and the weekends and so um I pretty much had no life for a while but you know what I feel like it actually made a huge difference in my work ethic right now and I am ever so grateful for that because without that it just it it wouldn't be the same um so yeah so then I went to law school part-time um came out of law school started litigating for a law firm that um I was working for who practiced majority consumer law. And then they also did some personal injury. So um, the consumer law piece of it, I was really interested in because we were basically going back and um, representing clients who were um, like wrongfully, not necessarily, uh, basically like wrongfully um, collected against, or uh, for example, like some of them were going through foreclosure with um, the different mortgage servicers through um, the end of, uh, the recession, right? And so mm-hmm. there were different ways. So we represented the plaintiff on that side. And then um, and then I decided to go back to banking. And so I went back into banking and very shortly after I, um, I decided corporate just wasn't for me. And so, <laughs> so I went out on my own, started my own practice. And now um, we're three years in the making and consistently growing. And um, yeah, I'm constant, constantly kind of just looking to add and um, progress and grow. And it's been, I think owning my own business has probably been like one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done um, in my life because of the fact that it just ends up being constant challenges and constant, um, there's, there's never a boring day. Yeah. It's just absolutely amazing just to continue to do that. And sometimes it's incredibly stressful, but like 
ultimately the reward is um, the personal growth that I see. And I, and I, I love that. So. Yeah. And I think that was when, I guess, when we first met um, and then we started working together right before COVID quite a bit and then COVID hit. And then we were, you were on a majority of the deals I had that were like going under contract or were under contract those weeks around and then after COVID. Um, and that's before you were on your own, right? And that was yeah. right before I had left my team um, that I was, that I was previously on. And, you know, it was interesting because I was watching you, you know, thrive in your solopreneur life, um, you know, creating your own business in your own, your own practice and your own, your own setup altogether. Um, and you were really encouraging of me doing my own solo stuff, because I think you saw that like, you know, yeah, it is, it is really hard to get started, but it can be very rewarding. Um, and COVID just was this, you know, perfect time mm -hmm. to do it because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when so much change was already happening, I felt like, yeah, it's either I'm going to be on this team for the rest of my life. And this is just how it's going to be because it's easy to get complacent, um, or to do the more intimidating thing, which is to just branch out on your own. Um, which is so admirable that you did that. Um, and then you helped me like, obviously with like setting up my S corp and doing a lot for my own business, which was just you know, tremendously helpful. So if there are any realtors that are out there that are listening to this podcast, I would say like Melissa gives really great business advice on the formation of your business. And like, for me, that insight was so valuable of like how I was going to structure my team. Um, but also, I mean, we had some like, I mean, the lockdown was just insane. So, I mean, I guess I feel like you're one of those friendships and um, that comes, that came from COVID that like, I don't know if, because it was so crazy, we were just like on the phone with deals more, yeah. trying to problem solve more. And I think that that forced us to kind of bond a little bit more that maybe in our professional setting of like how we have things now, it wouldn't have been so personal, but we, at least I was spazzing the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, That's I, totally different than everyone else. Yeah, nobody else <laughs> is spazzing out. Just me. <laughs> I took COVID really hard. <laughs> well, I also feel like we were probably, you know, there was that week during the first week of COVID where like the maybe it was more than a week, maybe it was like three weeks where everything kind of came to a standstill. And then shortly after that, everybody was like, you know, trying to move and get more comfortable. And, and that's when like more space really became necessary. And um, so I feel like everybody got so busy and rates, rates have been going strong since then. So um, it, like everybody was just so busy. And I think it was I think it was like a breath of fresh air for, for both of us just to like be able to work together on some of these things and to like bring each other, like have that community without actually um, like while still being on, out on our own, right? Because yeah. that's another thing that I've just learned with running your own business is like you're not on an island at all. Like where you end up being is who you surround yourself with and how you um, are able to like support other, other people. Um, and how, how you gain that same momentum and continue to like move forward together. So, yeah, sure. we were talking a little bit about, well, we did the rich dad, poor dad, we call it rich dad, poor rat book. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think that actually 
is going out next week, but we were talking a little bit about in the book, it says, oh, and I mean, honestly, a lot of Instagram and, you know, quotes out there are like, choose your friends wisely, choose your friends wisely. And I don't think it's necessarily about like choosing friends that are just on the solopreneur path or people who like make money versus people who maybe have more of an artist job, because I've got, I still have a lot of friends that do improv um, and art stuff, but I think it's a mindset to find people that are um, like, as every time I talk to you, I think I am ignited by other things I want to do. For instance, this podcast was a good part <laughs> of your manifestations. <laughs> so this is your fault. <laughs> yeah, what do you have to say to you for yourself, Melissa? Now that we've got you here. <laughs> my notebook where's my notebook so it's like random notebook of um yeah it's like my yearly uh three-year five-year goals and it it's um so anyways when Serena and I had our powwow of where things were going we I was lucky enough to do it together with her and we basically wrote in the notebook and so <laughs> like handwritten notebook of where it's at so um podcasting was definitely one of them <laughs> Well, we were talking um, before the interview, and I guess I should have probably introduced you as my um, uh, resident Virgo, because <laughs> such a Virgo thing. Just be like, okay, we're going to write it down. We're going to make a plan, a plan of action. Here we go. Um, but yeah, no, I think because you think bigger in the frame of things, it's really easy to get inspired when talking to you about stuff. Um and it's, I mean, it's not just like girl boss things. It's also just about like, you know, bigger picture and growth. And I guess anybody that's listening in Dubuque, that's just kind of what I want to leave you with is it's a good, it's a good, it's a good plan to find friends that like you can feed on, <laughs> like listen to their ideas and like, try to like merge the minds on how it can be like mutually beneficial too. Yeah, I think this is sort of reminds me of when you talk about dating, where sometimes it's not about what the person does. It's about the person like feeling driven and having ambition. And I think that's what you're saying with friends. It's like, look for people who are trying to work hard and improve their station of where they are, because then that's going to help you see that in yourself too. Yeah. And so I guess I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about a personal story. Um, so I think it's really interesting. You come from a family of police officers and you were, um, I guess, had the opportunity to become a cop. Um, maybe even almost, <laughs> almost. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much like the path of, um, I would say like my path of least resistance would have probably been, been like becoming a police officer or going in when that, when that time came where, um, I had to make that decision was majority. I was already in law school and I had already started my career. And so at that point, it also was like this decision of like, do I go this route where like my family's comfortable and where, um, You'd I could be comfortable. I would, I would be comfortable, but ultimately I don't think I would be comfortable. <laughs> that's not, that's really not who I am. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so basically I, and, and it's still, you know, I, 
I think that they do an amazing job and first responders are uh, like, it takes a certain type of person and a certain selfless type of person to become a first responder. And um, I totally respect that, absolutely. I just feel like that was not um, a path that was calling for me particularly. And this uh, was like after banking? Before. So before was, banking, okay, sorry. Law school, yeah. So while I was in law school, that was kind of the opportunity to go back and, and, and start, um, start that portion. I would have had to basically stop, um, stop going to law school to pursue that. Right. And mm-hmm. then I could have always came back to, to finish, but ultimately I was kind of already in a place in my life where I was like, yeah, I'm just going to see where this goes instead yeah. <laughs> because uh, it would have been a completely different career change. And I'm really glad I did that now because the things that I'm doing now have been a consistent build off of like what I've been doing since I was 18 years old. Right. So continuous, um, continuous like education of momentum and, or like just education in general and like the area that I'm in, whether it's like personal experience, uh, formal education, anything like that has been continuous since I was probably 18 at like my very first job, right? Or my very first um, real job, I guess. But well, you mentioned calling and I, I do think a lot of, you know, life and you know everything that we really do whether it's the properties that you purchase or like house hacking I think there is this kind of uh, gut or intuition that you sort of have to follow and Mm. when you feel it pushing you in one direction versus another um, sometimes so strongly too where you're like you know that's just not the path I want to take sometimes that's like really easy to hear from the universe, God, Allah, you know, whatever that like you're being drawn in one direction versus the other. Yeah. But you know, when you talk about that, I know that you have done a lot of real estate investing um, and you've done some deals to with a family member and partnered up with people um, and currently you're house hacking. Um, Can you talk to maybe uh, provide a little bit of insight on what that process was like for you? Yeah. So I started, um, investing in, so I kind of like house hacked without knowing I was house hacking because, um, I bought my first condo while I was, you know, like at 26 and I was just like, wait, you know, this is, this is the life that I want to live. I had this like nice condo and then life changed really quick. Right. And so, um, so at that point I had a friend of mine, uh, moved in because she was also going through a, a transition in her life too. And so, um, she moved in and basically kind of rented from the, the second bedroom from me. And it was awesome because, um, she was like my best friend from grade school. We had a blast together. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and then, uh, then, you know, that, that time kind of passed and, and I sold that place. And then after I sold that condo, um, I was able to take those proceeds and then um, invest in single family homes, right? And so my um, cousin and real estate investment partner basically um, had major- a little bit, quite a bit more experience as far as like in the Is investing side. Than I- um, he, he's, by trait, he's an electrician. So he got the contractor side of things um, down pretty good and Mm -hmm. understands the functions. And that's a side that I don't really have a strong suit on, right? And so um, I think he he and I also, he's he's also a licensed agent, right? But ultimately, I think that the benefit of that comes from like having two completely separate um, 
areas that we're both very strong with. Um, and so majority of my strengths, I would say, would be like behind the scenes, like the uh, organization and the um, like the reviewing the documents, things like that, right? So when we do a closing, I can do that simply, yeah. straightforward. Um, and then when we're actually out at the property, he takes more lead as far as um, stepping in for the rehab and and um, and then like renting, finding tenants, things of that nature. So I feel like the teamwork is evenly split, and we both kind of stay in our lanes, which has made it. Um, easier, right? And then ultimately, I mean, I don't think I would have been able to do that and start my own law firm and try and grow, grow my business and do everything at one time. So I am like a strong believer of partnerships and partnering up and finding yeah. like people with opposite strengths um, just to continue to like grow and build off of, off of each other, because I think that that's ultimately how you got to get things done. You can't do everything by yourself, right? It, it sounds great, but like if you do it and you actually succeed at it, you're, you're going to be completely stressed out. <laughs> it's just going to be incredibly exhausting and it's not right. going to kind of, it pulls you. So like for my own buying journey right now, when I am immersed in the busyness of the market, I don't have a lot of time and I don't want to look at properties for myself in my free time. Um, I mean, even just saying that makes me want to like gag a little, <laughs> like, you know, I can't be on Zillow looking at like Zillow porn at 11 o'clock at night. It has to be, you know, when I have the bandwidth to do it because it's very hard, you know, there's a grind to this. Um, and you know, like we were talking yesterday, you know, there's weeks where you can have maybe a couple of contracts come to you. And then all of a sudden a bunch of things just hit at once. So there's not like a really good flow of work. Um, it's, it's kind of like an all or nothing feast or famine is sort of how a lot of people describe the industry. But I do think that it equates to that, like anybody who has a nine to five, like a really busy nine to five job. And maybe that nine to five is really like nine to midnight. Um, you know, yeah. having partnerships and working with a partner, especially in real estate investing can be sometimes advantageous. Um, even when you have the background that you have in law and that your partner has being an electrician, um, there's still a lot of things that you would have to learn on the other end of the transaction that might be very time consuming. So it is definitely one of those things that I think people can, um, talk about. And Melissa, you do partnership agreements, right? Yeah. So that's part of like that, all of, I feel like all of my experience has kind of guided me in the, this direction as far as like this is what I really enjoy doing, right? Is because I've had this prior experience. And so part yeah. of um, what I offer to a lot of my clients, right? Is the, the ones that are investing that are, that do have real estate investing partners. Um, we, we can do the partnership agreement, the joint venture agreement, you know, like the, the ones that um, like some of the other uh, creative things are like the owner financing, like those things um, come into play. And so that's where, where the business formation part of my, um, firm focuses more on. So everything pretty much stems from the real estate transaction. And then it just happens to be that I do work with, um, a fair amount of investors that want to keep going, keep building, have partnerships, things of that nature. Yeah. Again, I think anybody who that I, I talk to, that's maybe a couple like boyfriend, girlfriend, partners, um, that kind of thing that uh, it's always a good idea to do a partnership agreement. Um, I can't emphasize that enough, but like more than anything, like it's not my lane of expertise. So I always defer to an attorney on that. 
because um, you just want to protect yourself. And like even having a conversation of like, maybe you don't have a property under contract at this moment that you need to hire a real estate attorney, but you can kind of still talk to people and get a good sense of like what it is, you know, you need to be looking at prior to actually purchasing real estate. Um, and it will be less heated in the moment if you don't have a property under contract, right? If you're thinking, oh, we're going to go buy this together, but we aren't married yet, or maybe we don't want to get married, that's probably a better time to work with you, wouldn't it be? Um, yes, no. So usually, oh, sorry. No, I was like, <laughs> we want to get paid, so. <laughs> Where, where it would make sense is, um, well, I don't like you're looking like you want to do it. I just mean before you're like, well, I would say like when, um, when you're looking to get started, right. If you are going into some sort of partnership, I would say that's where you want to talk before you start looking or while you're looking, right. Talk to your partner and figure out what are the terms, like who's going to manage it. Are you going to get paid for a management? Are you just going to split equity? Like how, what are you going to do from there? Right. And then Once we get under contract, so basically from the time the property is under contract to the closing date, there's usually at least um, 30 days. And so during that 30 day period, that's part of what I do is um, we'll talk about like what the structure looks like. And then at that point, if we're going to create an LLC, I can create the LLC like the LLC is not um, not incredibly difficult to create and it can be created within 24 hours, but ultimately the agreement ends up taking a little bit longer and a little bit time to work through. But during that like 30 to 45 day window from um, contract to close is when I typically work through with my clients on the, on the details, because then there's an end date in sight. And like, I wouldn't really recommend opening up an LLC if you don't have a property to put in it yet. Right. Because there's fees to open up the LLC. Um, so unless you're running a business out of it, obviously that's, that's different. But if, if you're doing it for the strict purposes of funding that LLC with the property, then I would say, wait until the property is, um, at least under contract and we're, we're anticipating a close date to get that LLC opened. Yeah. Every meetup we've had has, we've had questions about that. Um, I think that's the most common question people will ask and pretty much anybody that presents at the meetups that question. Um, and I think, you know, it's always kind of the lenders don't necessarily like an LLC for financing purposes, or will they even work with an LLC for financing purposes on your first one? So usually not. And I mean, honestly, sometimes an LLC is not necessary. If you're going to be house hacking and living in the property, then there's better tax benefits just to keep it in your own personal name. Because, you know, then when you go to sell or if you go to sell and you've owned the property, then you don't have to pay capital gains, um, depending on that situation. And, all that check with your accountant, but basically <laughs> that all of that good stuff kind of comes into play. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of the understanding. That's why I say, wait until you're under contract and we can have that discussion. And if an LLC it works and is right for you and you need that agreement, then we can do it while you're under contract and not necessarily beforehand. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I feel like I'm sure your phone's like emails just blowing up. <laughs> for people that are just needing your attention. Um, Thank you so much for your time today and agreeing to do this. 
Um, you know, before we wrap up, I just want to say, uh, Melissa's got a really great Instagram account, um, that has a lot of wonderful resources. That's true. Um, yeah. And I think people don't realize that like I, Instagram and why we put so much energy into it is it's just another layer of consumer education so that you don't have buyer's remorse. And it, these things are subtly being warped into your vocabulary. Um, Melissa, what's your Instagram handle? Um, so it's at Tannehill Law. So I'm looking at Kayla. <laughs> I'm looking at Kayla because I'm now going to say, so follow Melissa at Tannehill Law and you can also follow us at Sarita Sells Chicago. That's right. Yeah. Good job. Yes. <laughs> Whenever I get it, she always looks at me like, did you get it right? I'm like, yeah, I got it right. I helped you pick this. <laughs> I had so many handles over the years and it, it I, it confuses me of like what my TikTok is, what my Instagram handle is. And honestly, I just need to own the fact that I'm a geriatric millennial. <laughs> I was like, so I'm wearing, um, is this Lacoste? Lacoste. Lacoste. I haven't worn this shirt in 15 years. And Kayla walked in and I was like, is this in, am I, is this in style? Like, is, am I, can I wear this? And Kayla was like, always. <laughs> But you can tell she said it like, yeah, you pay me to say things, right? <laughs> Kayla helped me when I realized that they don't sell full-length pants anymore. And I had to wear like crop pants with booties. And I'm like, I saw this on the internet and I don't believe in it. And she's like, I'm also wearing that. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what though? Like when it's rainy, how it, how it has been in Chicago for the past four weeks. Yeah. Uh, those pants are amazing. So no, that's so true. <laughs> Um, well, everybody, I just want to say real quick, I, I appreciate you and thanks for having me on and you have helped me so much with growing my business and being there for me as well too. So thanks for everything. And, um, it was just like a pleasure to be on today. So, oh my goodness. Sorry. I got a little teary eyed. You're the best. I don't know what I would do without you. You're my closer and I'm honestly a better person for knowing you. So if we were in person right now, I'd give you a hug. <laughs> Um, all right. Okay. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up because I'm already starting to tear. And thank you so much. Everybody follow us on Instagram and we'll see you on our next episode. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Melissa. Bye. Thanks.